Well, good morning. It is uh, good to see each of you today. I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity. Let me uh, give you a warning before I get into the message. If you plan on walking the aisle today, you may need to learn hopscotch before you can come. (laughs) So just be prepared for that, just in case. All right, I want you to please be uh, turning in the Word of God to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 9. I'm always appreciative of the uh, praise and worship team that gets us corporately ready to, uh, to receive the Word. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, and I just want to look at the first two verses of, uh, of this chapter. Would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God as I read Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. This is a departure, obviously, from the Gospel of Matthew, but the Holy Spirit's been soaking uh, this Scripture text into my soul now for about a month. It is one of the monumental prayers in all of Scripture, Old and New Testament. It is not one of the best-known prayers, uh, unfortunately, for us as Christians and, uh, and churches, we uh, need to, uh, to really meditate over it, ponder what the Holy Spirit has placed here in this chapter and from Daniel uh, the prophet. And because we've got a lot going on with Bible school beginning tomorrow, I'm just going to get the, to the core and the heart of the text right away this morning is... We look at what I call no-nonsense prayer. No-nonsense prayer. I don't know of a prayer anywhere in all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that has more nonsense about it than Daniel. And I'm going to show you uh, why I am referring to that uh, text with that title here in just a few moments. But no-nonsense praying. You will see as we have already read in the first two verses of uh, this chapter, it talks about that in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, the real... Uh, fulfillment of the prayer comes to fruition at the end of the chapter, verses 24 
through 27, it gives us the greatest prophetic section of Scripture in all the Word of God in the 70 weeks of Daniel in verses 24 to 27, and we'll get to that uh, here shortly. But you will uh, see that Daniel was uh, benefiting himself from Jeremiah's writings. This is where he found himself, placed himself in Jeremiah's writings and what he was saying and teaching uh, about the uh, bit of prophecy that uh, is given to us so clearly here uh, in the, uh, the end of the chapter. But there are some prerequisites, there are some qualifications that I want you to see here before we get to that uh, prophetic section uh, at, the, uh, at the end. I'm concerned as a Christian, I'm concerned as a father, and as a minister, too many of my prayers, and I'm talking about in a private sense, become what I call uh, tap water prayers, teacup prayers. Uh, the portions are small. They are not great mammoth monumental prayers when we uh, come to the throne of grace. Uh, that is where I have found myself as a Christian and as a minister for many years of my life. Um, what we need to be doing instead of praying what I call tap water prayers or teacup prayers, we need to be praying Atlantic Ocean prayers. We need to be praying Pacific Ocean prayers. Psalm 81 in verse 10, uh, verse 10 says, Open thy mouth and I will fill it. We need to be large of heart and large of mouth when we go before our omnipotent and sovereign Lord. And uh, this will be broken down for us here as we go through this text today. And the reason for the uh, essentiality of Atlantic Ocean prayers and Pacific Ocean prayers is uh, given to us here in this ninth chapter. And I want you to look uh, in particular with me at verses 13 and then verse 16. Why is Daniel praying the way he is praying? Well, let's look at that 13th verse. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity, alluding to the destruction of Jerusalem, has come on us, yet... We have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Now the key word here in that 13th verse is the word yet. All this has happened, all this has occurred, and yet we have not come to a point or place of repentance as a nation. And when I looked at that passage and, and looked at it over and over again, it reminded me of a passage in the book of Amos in the Old Testament. Amos uh, chapter uh, 4 says this, talking about the nation. God said, I sent drought and you didn't repent. God said, I sent famine and you didn't repent. God said, I sent pestilence and you did not repent. He said, I sent your sons to war and you did not repent. And then he says this, prepare to meet your God. 
prepare to meet your God. If drought's not going to do it, if famine's not going to do it, if pestilence is not going to bring us to a place of repentance, if war is not going to bring us to a place of repentance, he says, then you're going to have to deal with me as the Lord of the universe. And so that's what we're dealing with here as Daniel goes through this prayer. He, he says, he says, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God. But not only in that in verse number 13, look at verse 16 here of the chapter. It says, O Lord, in accordance with your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. And this is the prayer that we need to be praying uh, for the United States of America. Now, we know that America is not Israel and Israel is not America, but there are the applications and principles here for our country and nation as well. He says that uh, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a reproach to all those around me. He said this is the necessity of this prayer because Daniel sees the city of Jerusalem. He sees the nation of Israel in the plight that it is in here. Now, I want to apply this uh, to where we are. From my perspective, and this is just one opinion, this is just one perception. America is now a country and a nation that is what I call boxed in. We are hemmed in because of all of our difficulties and all of our issues. It reminds me of Second Chronicles chapter 16. During the days of King Asa, the Bible says there was no peace to those that came out. There's no peace to those uh, that went in. For it says that God troubled them on every side. God troubled them on every side. It even talks about in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 10 how uh, Israel had become the enemy of God. Now, when we look at what's going on around us, and this can be everything from baby formula that is difficult to find to those who are um, angry abortionists, to the moral perversion in our society, the possibility of world war, we don't know, and just the instability that is in all of our culture in our republic. And so these are the two things that I see that brings Daniel to this place of prayer. Now the Bible talks about prayer as one of the great means, one of the great sources that God's going to use to, to move the heart and mind of God. And the Bible talks about when we don't pray, that is, that is, uh, that is sin. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23, it says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And then in Isaiah chapter 64 and it, verse 7 talks about those that have not called upon the name of the Lord, those who have not held on to Him in prayer. We're talking about prevailing 
tenacious prayer. That's what we're dealing with here. Now we see the, uh, the reasons for why this prayer is uh, come about. And, uh, but now we're going to see the, uh, the individual, the person that God is going to use to lead the nation. And I, I want us to look at why I believe God chose Daniel in particular to, to lead in this prayer. First thing I want to say about Daniel, the Bible says he was greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. Three times he's called a man greatly beloved. He is what I call the Old Testament John. John was the beloved disciple. Daniel was a man greatly beloved. The Bible says he had a great character. He had a great spirit about him. But it was not just the fact that he was so beloved. The Bible says there's another thing about Daniel that makes him extremely valuable. The Bible says that uh, he greatly prayed. The Bible says three times a day he would open the window and pray toward the city of Jerusalem in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Three times a day. The Bible talks about those who pray in the morning and at noontime and at night. And this was the lifestyle prayer of the prophet Daniel. But not only was he greatly beloved and not only did he greatly pray, the Bible also says this about him that he greatly struggled in prayer. Prayer is a is a, is a battle. It's a conflict. It is a war. It really truly is. Now look what it says here in this ninth chapter in this 21st verse. It says this. He says, while I was still speaking, notice, in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Now what does this mean? He was depleted. He was tired and worn out totally from this battle in this engagement as he battled against the enemies of God. And we would see this later on as you move into chapter 10 and it talks about this angelic conflict that went on in the uh, next chapter. But we won't deal with that right now. But he was a man that was greatly loved. He greatly prayed. And the Bible says he greatly struggled in, in prayer. He was the one that had the burden, the responsibility for praying for the nation of Israel. And so... These are just some introductory remarks, some preliminary thoughts about Daniel the man in the matter of prayer. Now let me just give you four points, four realities, four truths that I see from this text that will help us hopefully to come to a place where no nonsense prayer is a part of our lives as Christians and his churches. First one is this. Theology, good theology makes for great praying. Good theology makes for great praying. Now we need to understand something that I think has been a little confusing and people have misunderstood it, that there is not an antithesis between the Holy Spirit of God 
and the Word of God. There's no battle there between those two. There's no conflict. There, you know, the Bible says that uh, the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, they're, they're the very best of friends. They're the very best of friends, the Scripture. But in order for us to have effective praying, we, we, we must have good theology that comes from, you know, the Word of God. The Bible says that we're to speak the things which become sound doctrine. The better your doctrine is, the better your theology is, the better your prayer life will be as you become a student of the Word of God. And I believe there are a couple places in particular that we need to give attention to when it comes to this matter of uh, theology. One is in the area of how we uh, perceive God, and the other is how we perceive sin. First of all, how we perceive God, and then secondly, how do we perceive sin? Now, I want you to look here uh, in regard to this uh, issue and matter of God here in this ninth chapter, and look with me, if you uh, will, at um, verse 3 again. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And when you find that in the text, it is evidencing, it is indicating that the nation is bankrupt morally, religiously, and spiritually. When you see those terms and words used. We are at the end of ourselves is what in essence Daniel is saying. And then he goes right in to this matter of uh, giving attention to the Lord God. The Lord God. There was a great man, a great writer that lived a number of years ago. He was from Canada. His name was A.W. Tozier. And A.W. Tozier uh, gave us this quote that I think is one of the most observant quotes that's ever been given to the Christian church. He says, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And then I heard a minister from Mississippi make this analysis. There are two gods, the one we want and the one who is, and they are not the same. If you don't get anything else, I say, listen to that for just a moment. There are two gods. Not really. I'm just making a point. The one we want and the one who is. And they're not the same. We are idol factories by nature. That's who we are and what we are before conversion, before grace, before salvation. And so we have to be careful that we have the one living true God in, in prayer and that we can properly pray when we get ready to come to the throne of grace. And so we, we need to understand this idea of giving attention to the God who is, the one living and true God. But something else, not only this attention that we need to get, uh, to give to God, but secondly, His awesomeness. Notice it says, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been brought up in a culture where everything's awesome. Everything's awesome. 
your dress is awesome, your hair is awesome, you know. And here's the issue. If everything is awesome, nothing is awesome. Right? If everything is awesome, nothing's awesome. You know, friend, the God of the Bible is in a category in and of himself. He is in a league of his own. For instance, you know, and I, and I say this to make a point, you know, sometimes when we get into uh, fall and football comes along and then we have the rankings every week and, and we know who is going to be number one normally and usually in football, right? And then they'll say this, you know, they're number one. Then they go through and they say this is number two and they go all the way down number 10 and number 25. And if we're not careful, we do that with Jesus Christ. Jesus is not number one. He's all that there is. He's all that there is. He alone is the King. He is the Lord. And that's the reason that we are to bow down to Him. He is awesome. And then there's this aspect here of of just aspiring to... It says to seek Him, to seek Him. When I was a uh, young father and a young pastor, and I'd be gone on a, uh, a trip when my girls were just small before our son came along, I'd bring back a little gift or a little token every time I came home with them. And so every time I came home, they got to looking for my for my hand. What's in daddy's hand? What's in daddy's hand? What's in daddy's hand? And then one day I came home and I didn't have anything in my hand. And of course there were, there was <laughs> disappointment, there was tears and all that sort of thing. And the reason I did that is because if we're not careful, we do that with God. We look for the hand of God, but not the face of God. We want what God gives us rather than God himself. And see, this is what the Bible is talking about. We are to give our allegiance and devotion and service and witness to the Lord and the Lord alone. And so, you know, we have to come to terms with what we believe about God. And secondly, we have to come to terms to what we believe about the doctrine of sin. And if we don't have the right view of God, we're certainly not going to have the right view of sin and here as you look through this, this, uh, this chapter and this portion here, you see a few things very hurriedly, very quickly here. You see, number one, when it gets to the doctrine of sin, it's a corporate reality. It's not, he's not talking about just an individual. He's not talking about a particular person. He's talking about the community. He's talking about the nation as a whole, and we need to see the doctrine of sin in that matter and in that regard and in that sense and in that way. And that's the reason all the way through the rest of this prayer, you find the pronouns we and us and we and us. Now, we've got a, we've got a civilization that's all concerned with the proper pronouns. Well, so was Daniel. Daniel was concerned with the proper pronouns. He would say, we have sinned. Unto us we have, we have failed in our covenant 
responsibilities before the Lord. And so this is what we see here in this section of Scripture. So you have this corporate reality and then you have this corrupt reality that it's against God. Four times he says this is against God. And if we're not careful, we don't have a God-centered view of, of sin. We've got a self-centered view of, of, of sin. And sometimes we look at sin as what it does to me and what it does to us, but it does not enter into our hearts and minds like it should, is how it, how it grieves God. It offends God when we sin against Him. When we sin against Him, it's cosmic treason. It is cosmic treason when we sin against the Lord. And this is what the Word of God says. And so there's this sense of not only corporate because the whole nation is involved. It's not only corrupt because it's against God. Four times it says that. And then it's, it's a cursed reality. Look at verse 7. It says, Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside not obeying your voice so the curse has been poured out on us the curse along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses the servant of God for we have sinned against him there's a curse upon the nation now let me pause here for just a minute and give you just a little detailed information about what that curse meant God gave them Leviticus 26 he said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey me, you're going to be cursed. And then that application applied to Deuteronomy chapter 28 in particular. Well, they violated both Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And here's what the scripture says. It, it created a calamity. The city was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem. Nobody ever thought Jerusalem would be toppled. It's just like we never thought the two towers would come tumbling down on September the 11th, 2001, but they did. Jerusalem came tumbling down. And one of the after effects was the destruction of Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and this is what happened. Lamentations kicked in. Now, don't read Lamentations and, unless you're ready to read a lot of the uh, Psalms, the more uplifting sections of Scripture, because it is a very dark and difficult book to read. It's, it's one that Jeremiah penned after the city was put down. There are horrible things, incredible things that happen to the families and the individuals in the city of Jerusalem. You, nobody could believe that this would happen. The Bible says Jerusalem became a byword as a result of God's judgment on Jerusalem as a city and on Israel as a nation. And Daniel talks about, look, he said there's problems everywhere you look. He says it's in our fathers, have committed this. Our kings have done this. Our priests have done this. This has brought on this calamitous situation that we find 
in lamentation as far as its consummation, the way things ended there, the way it ended there. But I don't want to stop there. I want to conclude these very hurriedly this morning. Not only does uh, good theology make for great praying, number two, genuine humility makes for great confessing. Genuine humility makes for great confessing. Now I'll just take a moment here. Uh, My dominant gift of the spiritual gifts is, is prophecy. And I'm not talking about the ability to determine what's going to happen in the future. A prophet's just what is, you have the ability to see the Bible in a microscopic sense and in a telescopic sense. You see the big, huge things and you see the little, minute things in Scripture. And prophets are not popular. Prophets were always in trouble in the Bible. That's the reason Isaiah got sawed in half. That's what happened to the prophet Isaiah. He got sawed in half at the altar. The book of Hebrews tells us about about that. And Adrian Rogers said, uh, (laughs) prophets are like porcupines. They have a lot of good points. They're just hard to get close to. And friend, I'm, I'm burdened for our culture. I'm burdened for our country. I'm burdened for our children. I know this from the Bible, that Satan is working when there is an attack on children. And I don't care if it's abortion or what it is. The devil is at work when there's an attack on children. And we better heed what the word of the Lord says in this matter and in this regard. And before we confess our sins, we've got to have some humility. Genuine humility. And the way we do that First of all, it's through ownership. That means we own up to our sin. Not necessarily what we have done, but what we have not done. Not necessarily what we've said, but what we have not said. You know, people say silence is golden. That, that may be true, but sometimes it can be just plain yellow. Where we're not bold enough. Where we're not verbal enough and vocal about the things that we ought to be Dealing with, we have to own up 17 times. This is Daniel. Daniel is one of the godliest characters in all of Scripture. The Bible says the three most godly men in all of Scripture in Ezekiel 14, verse 14, and then Ezekiel 14, 20. He says, here are the three guys that are the most godly individuals. Job, Noah, and Daniel. And what makes that so amazing about Daniel was he was a contemporary of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was amazed and marveled by that man 
that we call Daniel. And so he's owning up to his own sin. He's not only praying in regard to his own sin, but the nation's sin. He says there's obstinacy. Why is there obstinacy? Last part of verse 14 says, We have not obeyed his voice. We have not obeyed his voice. Verse 14, this is what we ought to be doing, is obeying the voice of whoever God sends our way to give us the word. Then in verse Number 16, it says, Let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Now, I'm older than most of you this morning, and I, I can remember in times just after I was converted and called to preach, and I remember people standing up in church, and they couldn't even pray verbally. They couldn't get the words out. All they could do was say, Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. God, Paul says that is prayer where you groan in the Spirit. There's just not enough words to cry out to God for our nation and for the situation that we find ourselves in. Then I'm going to end on this very quickly in the last two points. Point three is growing intensity makes for a great movement of God. Growing intensity makes for a great movement of God. Look at verse number um, 15. Now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourselves as it is this day, we have sinned and we have been wicked. First thing we need to be mindful of right now is the name of God. One day the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day that will occur. But I want to tell you something else too. In the book of 1 Samuel, when David finally responded to Goliath's taunts. David says, I'm going to take you down. And he says, this is the reason. This was the overarching reason that David wanted to take down Goliath. I want the people of this land and region to know that there is a God in Israel. There is a God in Israel. And this, listen, I don't come to Jesus because it's easy, it's fun, it's popular. I don't become a Christian because of all of that. I don't look at the politics. I don't look at the polls. I come to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ alone has the right to be the Lord of my life. The Lord of my life, that's the reason I come to him. He's got a name that we need to lift up and speak about. Oh my goodness. And I want you to see something else here. Look at verses 18 and 19 of this ninth chapter of Daniel. 
I want you to see how there's a crescendo that's building as Daniel prays. He's kind of, he's kind of quiet and settled. But as he moves toward the end of this prayer, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear. It's building to a climax here. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by my name. He's asking God to rise up. He's asking God to speak to the situation. He's asking God to be a warrior and come and defend us, even though we have rebelled in sin. Come and defend us, and we will give the repentance you demand and require of us. Not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto yourself give glory, the psalmist said. And then one last thing, quickly. Verses 24 through 27. All that praying, all that seeking brings us to this moment of prophecy being fulfilled in verses 24 and 27. You'll just have to look at this for yourself on your own timetable and in your own way. That this is the greatest piece of Bible prophecy. It talks about not only the coming of the Messiah dying, but it also talks about the very end of the age. Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel's 70 weeks. And this fourth point is, I just want to call it, grappling in prayer makes for great understanding. This prophecy was not revealed till there had been grappling in prayer. Now you're not going to get a prophecy like this that God's going to reveal to you. That was given just to the prophet But I tell you what God will reveal to you about whatever you're struggling with. If you will be in prayer, if you will be in the Word, and you have to have both prayer and the Word. Again, I quote Tozer. Tozer said, you know, a lot of Christians ask the question, well, should I pray or should I read the Bible more? Well, that's like asking a bird, do you want your left wing or your right wing? You want both wings to be able to to fly and to function and operate. And that's what the Bible is, essence, saying here. we got to grapple sometimes in prayer to get a, a sense of what's going on. The Lord said that God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend does to his friend. He appointed with God. This is what the Word of God has to say. No nonsense pray. It needs to occur in the church, in our families, in our private times with the Lord, praying nationally for what's going on. We need mountain-moving prayers like Daniel. I pray God that would grant it here. And I conclude with this encouragement in the matter of prayer. 
Thou art coming to a king. Rich petitions with you bring for his grace and such. His grace is such that none can ever ask too much. Open your mouth wide. Atlantic Ocean prayers, Pacific Ocean prayers. Pray for the little things, the small things. But pray for things that God will bring to pass that only God can bring to pass. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask, Lord, that you would minister the truth of your word that has been proclaimed today. I pray that you would give us Daniel's heart. I pray that we would see the principles that you have given forth in your word, that we may be better prayers, that we may develop in prayer more than we've ever developed before. This is the challenge. This is the power. This is the resource for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.